There's been a disturbance in the force. This is not the news you were looking for. Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me is the one, the only, the occasionally being blown out by the light <laughs> in his studio, Mr. Chris Figs. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm all right, man. How are you? Uh, can I ask you something? When yeah, you, you see your face on the camera in front of you, mm-hmm. when it blows out and you look whiter than Joseph Smith himself, how do you mm. feel? Well, when I saw myself like that, I immediately knew that I could run from the cops and be fine. <laughs> All right, let's get this show on the road. <laughs> Can I tell a story <laughs> quick? I had a weird tell interaction me a story, today. Then I have a question um, for you uh, that is gaming related. But for now, yes, uh, take so, a moment. Actually, Chris, give me just one second. I'm going to let oh. you. I'm going to let you, but I will quickly say oh. welcome to Triangle Square at a PlayStation podcast. If this is your first time, uh, this is going to be a weird, interesting starting point, but that's okay. We hope you stick around and enjoy the show. We will have timestamps for you to uh, look through so that you can enjoy whatever topics tittle your uh, finger into clicking if you're not just uh, intent on listening to all of it. Uh, but without further ado, before we get into talking about what we're playing and what we've been playing and before we get into some of the news this week like some potentially bad news for the KOTOR remake uh, some shakeups at Sony and Suicide Squad popping back up as well as some other things uh, we're going to apparently get into Chris's interaction yeah so Chris, a, take it away I had a weird interaction so and I that brought with it a moral dilemma for me okay so for dinner today I went to Subway and I got a mm. I got a steak sandwich it was delicious Freshly was my, sliced fuck no are you joking (laughs) that's what their new marketing scheme is where do you think i we slice our meat fresh (laughs) okay maybe at the factory um (laughs) (laughs) but okay so i go there and i just got a new credit card i've never had a credit card in my life right and this credit card doesn't have an rfid chip so i have to swipe it so i swipe the credit card to try and pay for my food and it pops up a pin now Credit cards don't have pins. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, it's not letting me do the credit card. This is a credit card. I cannot put a pin in. So this guy. Did, did he tell you the solution to that just in case you didn't know it? I, it? That did not work. I couldn't hit the cancel button. I couldn't hit go without putting in a pin. Couldn't do any of that. All right, go ahead. So this guy just looks at me and goes, you have another way to pay? And I was like, no, I came in here with this because this is how I have to pay. And he just goes, I got you. And he fucking paid for it. <laughs> Bro, that's sick. Right, but here's the moral dilemma. Is that, do I have to return the $20 to this fucking child who paid for my food? Keep in mind, this is like a fucking 16-year-old kid. Boy had braces. And he's fucking paying for my meal. And- well, look. <laughs> I would consider this to be a one of those great moments where you have a great interaction with someone who probably is in a position where they felt comfortable enough doing that. It was an incredibly nice thing for them to do. So, I mean, if you see a way that you can reasonably pay it forward to someone else or to him, bro, just go in there and like, 
dude, give them go. I'm not even kidding. If you feel like you have the means to do it, my solution to that would be to go get like a $50 prepaid gift, like a visa card and just give it to him. Be like, dude, here, like, thank you. You deserve not only what I, what you covered for me, but some extra for doing something so nice. Cause he didn't have to, he didn't have to do anything. Well, but that's what I'm confused about. He paid. So this is, this is the wrinkle. He paid for it because Mm -hmm. he would have been in trouble if he had had to throw out the sandwich. Well, not necessarily. No, that's what he said. <laughs> no joke, really? He was like, I'll get in trouble if if I throw this away, so I'm, I'll just pay for it. Dude, that's that's, that's ridiculous. Because if he Here, did it thing, out look, of the... He, did something, he still did something nice for you. Even if it was to save his own ass, he did something nice for you. Yeah. But that's uh, that's part of a broken system. That's what if I'm saying. If you make something and then you can't pay for it, that's a you. That's not on him. What right. is he supposed to do? Ask for proof of purchase before he ever even makes your sandwich? That's not the way that place works. Right. You don't pay for your Chipotle. Like I ate Chipotle the other day. I've had a time where Chipotle's credit card thing was not working correctly, mm-hmm. but the person in line didn't know that, already made my burrito. I got there and the manager, I was there all the time. The manager was like, oh, our machine's not working. I guess he didn't realize do you have another way to pay? And I said, I absolutely do not. I do everything <laughs> on my credit card. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. And she just said, don't worry about it. Just go ahead. Just, just consider it on me. Well, and that's I was like, thing. sweet. That's what I expected. <laughs> and then this fucking yeah. dude pulls out his phone and does the little whoop and it's paid for. And I'm like, all right. I, but See, like, if I was me, him, I'd have just been like, which I don't it. know how I don't know how it's accountable. I don't know if there's cameras or what, but I would have just been like, yeah, take it. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure there's cameras, but Look, is my like dude, he's, $10 he's young. He probably didn't want to run the risk of getting in trouble, regardless of what it took. And so the easier way is to just scan his card. I'd still do something nice for him because he absolutely did not have to do that. And if he works at a place where he's under that kind of rule of thumb, then damn, he deserves a break. <laughs> I almost feel like being like, do you want a job at my place? I'll try like, do I'll it. give you a better job. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean this seriously though like at what point that did he did he do his work as he should did he seem like a decent worker here's the only thing I had a, <laughs> so this is a whole thing okay <laughs> I, can you imagine if he finds this podcast and he's like I paid for this guy's <laughs> fucking sandwich here he is bitching about me <laughs> no I'm not but like what's funny is when I originally got in there this dude yeah. was the dude was sitting on the back on his phone, and I stood in that building for like ten minutes, and eventually got his attention because I just grabbed the soda and slammed the door, and he like hopped up. He was like, "Oh shit!" So like I had started this interaction with like, "Do I if I'm a big enough dick about that? He's gonna I'm gonna get this for free." And then it turns out I got this for free because Subway as a corporation is just garbaggio. Like, so now you feel bad that you went into it trying to get something free and then you technically did? No, here's the thing. In my, I was doing this in my head. I don't have the balls. It's either the balls or I have too much courtesy to actually yell at the service worker and be like, sure. dude, I've been standing here for fucking 20 minutes. Like, where have you been? You know? But it's just funny that I went into that interaction like, I'm going to get my fucking... I'm, I could get some free food right now. And then it turns out I got some free food and now I'm like guilty about it. And I feel weird because I know that my meal was like an hour and a half of work for that guy. That's that's yeah. my biggest thing. I'm like, you worked for an hour and a half just to pay for my food. <laughs> you know what's funny though? Mm. If you really want to look into what he might have been trying to cover his ass for, it might have been that if he has to report that like if they keep if they keep uh 
stock on the bread or anything. And he has to be like, why is this piece of bread not right or whatever? And then he goes, oh, this guy came in and couldn't pay. But then they run the camera and they see you sitting in there for 10 minutes with him not anywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? So what you're saying is we should just call it a wash because me not being a dick is why he might still have a job. <laughs> maybe, maybe not a bad idea. Uh, everybody, hey, if you're listening here right now at this moment, everybody tell us, is Chris... Uh, is Chris morally in in a jeopardized position, position, or is he is he free of any kind of guilt or expectation? Yeah. Let us know. <laughs> Do I have to pay but him Chris, out of campaign to, funding to return the podcast to its gaming roots. <laughs> um, well, let's, let's tell the people what we've been up to, what we've been playing, so that we can either give them something new to look at and play, uh, and so I can ask my burning question of having you explain to me why it's not on your list right here in front of me, but I clearly saw you for multiple hours playing destiny Two. What the (laughs) hell is happening, Chris? (laughs) So, um, I don't know. um, I think people know if you listen to us, that I'm very susceptible to cool cosmetics and video games. And um, you're also fairly susceptible to the words of Sean. Yeah. So the, when we, I don't know if you know this part of the story. When we went back and got the platinum in Destiny Two, the only reason I did that was because Sean sent me a GIF of the Bully McGuire emote, and yep, I, I downloaded this. So I downloaded Destiny and bought, bought the it. Bully McGuire emote, and then we played it for 150 hours to get the platinum. <laughs> so today, Sean sent me a picture of. The Destiny 2 and The Witcher 3 collaboration, and the suits look so fucking sick that I just downloaded it. I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play Destiny just for that one suit. Ah, <laughs> oh, Chris, you simpleton. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to hear you bitch about Destiny 2 ever again. There is because- no telling if I actually play it. That may be the case, but I was so, dude, I did a double take hard at my screen whenever <laughs> I went to message you. And I said, I said, what the fuck is he playing? <laughs> if you've listened to the podcast long enough, you know that Chris basically didn't play Destiny 2. Then he played for the most grueling 150 hours in like three weeks that, that we've ever played. Fucking terrible. We got the platinum and then he, then we just dipped. <laughs> I think I deleted it in the party chat with you guys at that point. You, like, you absolutely did. And you started downloading something else. I, I remember you being like, I finally got some fucking space. Yeah. Because yeah. Destiny 2 is a massive game. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot like the uh, the Call of Duties of this world. Um, so. but, even uh, though, but aside from your Destiny 2, uh, Chris, yeah. go ahead and tell everyone else what else you've been playing in this. Uh, it looks like you've been taking a little blast from the past alongside... Uh, a game that you've been kind of flirting on and off with. Go ahead. Yeah. So I guess the quick ones is I've been playing. I haven't played a lot because they just they just dropped today. But sure. uh, Grandia and Jet Moto. Yeah, is it the I've first Grandia? It's the first Grandia. Um, it's good. I like it so far. It's just a little uh, hard to navigate. But other than that, it's really fun. I like this character so far. Justin's yeah. pretty neat, so I like him. He's cool. Well, uh, I mean, then, for anyone that doesn't know, I mean, these are fairly old games. I mean, these are PlayStation One games. If yeah, I it's a PS One. So, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, they, it's <laughs> needs some work, but it's good. It's fun. I like the story. Um, Justin makes me laugh, and his mom is a hot pirate. So I'll take that. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty dope. Um, yeah, I played some of Jet Moto. I don't know if I will keep playing Jet Moto. I don't think I liked it very much. <laughs> 
Oh, dude, that's one of those games where I feel like if you've got nostalgia for it, it hits. Oh, I bet. But if you yeah. don't have nostalgia for it, <clears throat> I does not. I look. I love that game growing up, mm-hmm. and I would probably still have fun with it right now. But knowing the game as well as I do, and thinking back on it, I can see why someone would be like. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I started it and I was like, oh, this is kind of neat. And then I'm yeah. doing this race and I'm, I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job of just doing this jet ski or whatever it is. But then I end up, it's like, oh, you were in 13th place. I'm like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know well, that I'll be playing too much of it, but PS1 games are in that real weird thing where it's like, a lot of we talked about it a little bit last week, right? A lot of genres were kind of finding their transition to place like to uh, 3D, both yeah. on this system and on um, Nintendo 64. And I know why people love Jet Moto. I genuinely do. And I also know why people love Hydro Thunder. And I love Hydro Thunder as well. Uh, Hydro Thunder is a much better game than Jet Moto. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there uh, on a much better system than the PS1 because That's the, the Dreamcast one, is. Right? far more powerful yes uh, and it Great did game. it released on dreamcast as well because uh, i remember the first time that after we got a dreamcast and my dad uh we, we put in hydro thunder and yeah it wasn't quite as good as the uh and, and you didn't have the setup for the wheel and everything that you had on the arcade but yeah. i remember thinking like holy shit i'm playing an arcade game at my house this is wild <laughs> yeah. And I know that was true with like Tekken 2 and stuff, but we didn't have like a real arcade around here for a long time growing up. We still don't really have a great one. But so most of what we saw was like the very small arcade that our movie theater had. And that was back when we had a, um, God, what was it? A movie seven. I think we had a seven theater movie theater. So it was a very small arcade and we had a little small arcade in the, um, in the mall here as well. So I don't think we had those type of games or I just wasn't old enough to realize when I was young enough to go. We also were fairly poor growing up. Um, I also know that my dad was a big gamer. So even though we were poor, he usually tried getting the new console and we would just only get a few games throughout the life cycle. But he still felt like, hell yeah. Like I'll play Crash Bandicoot 1 till I die. (laughs) 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 Gran Turismo 2. But I mean, you know, it's fun. So I kind of miss that. Yeah, Jet Moto. Classic title, man. All right. So you, um, you didn't love it because no. it's dated. <laughs> I, I just don't know why I did so bad. And I think that's the problem. Like it didn't. It's a difficult <clears> game too. It didn't communicate to me like, oh, you're not breaking or there's a boost you're not using or you're not going the right direction. And because it tells you there's like this little tip thing and it's like, oh, it's not the straightest pass path, bro. You got to follow the waves. I'm like, okay, but this is a PS1 game. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah the thing that i do respect about jet moto and i really enjoyed was just blatant advertising everywhere I think oh, that dude. was awesome mountain dew everywhere there's a team mountain dew butterfinger crunch yeah. all over the place and i remember there was a podcast talking about it coming out and they're like oh i don't wonder if they'll they'll put those ads in. and then the first thing i saw loading up that game was you're on team mountain dew and i was like fuck yeah i am <laughs> Fuck yeah, I am. Um, yeah. So yeah, Jet Moto. Um, I played. I didn't write them down, but there's a couple. I've been trying to play my PS3 a little bit more, so I played some of the. Uh, it's a so I'm going to give you a little quiz here. It's an it's a licensed Atlas RPG on the PS3. Do you know what game I was playing? A licensed Atlas RPG. Yep. Late PS3 game or what? 
Couldn't tell you. Um, I'll look up the. I'll look up the release date. Mm, trying to think of what Atlas would have licensed. I know that there was a handful of, but if it, RPG is where it's getting a little weird there, because you know, like back when the MCU was starting and they had all those weird MCU offshoot games, like mm-hmm. what was it? Capcom did Captain America or some crap like that. Yeah, and then you had like the Hulk games. You had. A bunch of really odd, yeah. Of course, the Wolverine games back there for licensed games as well. It came so. out May fifteenth, twenty twelve, and it's Atlas published, not developed. I should be clear. <clears throat> oh, twenty twelve. Yep. And an RPG. Mm-hmm. Velvet's Quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I have no clue. That was, what a weird mix-up of games. I, I mean, like, you know, like a product. Well, it's fucking Game of Thrones. <laughs> I did know that they did that because I remember thinking how crazy it was that Atlas was the first person to put one out. And that was before Telltale had done their Telltale Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. So, Because it's also, uh, it does the same thing as Telltale's, right? Well, actually, I think Telltale's did too. But it uses the likeness of the characters, doesn't it? mm -hmm. And it seems like the voice actors are in the game. Yeah, I think Peter Dinklage actually voiced himself in that game. He did in Telltale. I don't know if he's in this PS3 one, but there's some like Maester Eamon was in there, and I was like, that's the same fucking dude. Um, Yeah, so that I played. um, I think I'm going to play Deadly Premonition, which I've just now realized Deadly Premonition is just Japanese Alan Wake. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, I'd never put that together. Then I'm playing it, and I'm like, "This is the same game." <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to actually think of which one came first. Alan Wake, I'm, I think. Uh, oh. I think Deadly Premonition is like same year. really same right. year. That's kind of wild, actually. Yeah, I wish the in- gaming industry was a little bit more malleable, so we could get like a. The guy I can't remember the guy who dev- who who's the guy behind Deadly Premonitions. It's not Suda Fifty One, right? Oh no no no! The director for this was uh God what? He's, um, he's like a notable name in the industry too, and it's just not coming. Yeah, I can't think because I know it's um it's Marvelous now is who owns it all. But what is it? Access Games or whatever? Um, <clears throat> it's Access Games. Who's the? There's the there's a guy like a specific guy. He did quiet. Um, he did the quiet man. Um, oh, I don't know if you're thinking of the same. I, maybe you are. Uh, maybe I made that up. I don't know. I, I would say I, I don't know if this guy really is anything. But I know that I knew the game. Oh, studio. Sweary, it's Sweary sixty five. That's why I knew him because he had. That oh, okay, the Hidetaka Suhiro or whatever. Guy. Yeah. So he did. Um, he did. He's like that butterfly team. You know what I'm talking about? Whatever. This is dumb. But. I'd love to see like butterfly s- team. Hold on, you, the, you can't the logo, back out. The logo has like some weird. It's like a butterfly or a cicada or something of his new team. Okay. Now you got me very much curious as what's going on here. I'm going to look up this guy real quick, just so I can try and have a basis. Because now you're making me think that, um, even though I don't think this is where you were going for. Um, Oh yeah, sweary or sweary sixty five. So this is just like the uh, <clears throat> Suda fifty one kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, what I was gonna say is I would love to see sweary sixty five direct an episode of Alan Wake and Sam Lake to direct an episode of Deadly Premonition. I would love to see that happen. That's fair enough. 
I'm gonna be honest. I I don't know that I see. I'm Francis Mark Jorgen, and I just found a page that's telling me that I need to go. <laughs> I need to go drink some coffee and eat a Fruit Loop and oh, Dorito dude, sandwich. I forgot there was a Deadly Premonition too. Yeah, it was Xbox exclusive. No, it was a <clears throat> Switch exclusive. Yeah, it was definitely an Xbox for uh, a launch exclusive. No, dude, it's on Windows and Switch only. What the fuck? I swear to God, they showed that at their showcase. That's crazy. That's wild. Anyway, continue. That was an odd derailment, but yes. The point is I would like to see those two game directors switch and make games for each other in their, in their universes. Well, see, this is, that's why the conversation around, <clears throat> if we're just being honest, the conversation around a- acquisitions, a lot of people have a lot of reasons as to why they don't want to do it, and a lot of it's talking about competition and everything. But you know, the real reason I am not super loving the aspect of everyone wanting to acquire everything is because the more independent publishers you can come about who own the IP that they work with. Like I thought it was so great that uh, remedy was able to get access to Alan Wake back to themselves mm-hmm. uh, because it just kind of puts the fate of someone they love back in their own hand. And I know that's not a very easy thing to do uh, as we recently saw with like, um, American McGee trying to get the rights back to Alice so he can make a new Alice and EA's Tomorrow like, Children, no. he got his back. <clears throat> yeah, Tomorrow Children was able to get that back. Uh, IOI, awesomely. Yep, we got Hitman with IOI being able to buy not or buy not only their freedom but the most popular IP they've ever been tied did to. Did you Did you see? I'm sorry to to tangent again, but did you see the story that people were bidding on IOI for single dollars? No freaking way! You come out yeah. back whenever IOI back was when they looking. Were, they were splitting. Yeah, they were. People were trying to buy them from Square. It wasn't like named publishers, but they were offering like one dollar for them. That's insane. And then to me. it's so wild that they were able to buy their own freedom and then come out and be a success on their own. Well, you almost. I know it's not true because the industry <clears throat> is not this nice. But you almost wonder if they were like, "Yeah, we'll give you a dollar," just as a way to be like. Yeah, just pay Square Enix a couple million, take your thing, and leave. You know what I mean? Kind of lowering the value of it, where you think like that story where people think EA sabotaged Titanfall so they could buy Respawn for cheap. You know, like that same kind of thing. So Just in reverse. Like someone offering so little so that Square is more like, oh, God, they aren't worth anything. Right. (laughs) Yeah, guys, we'll let you buy. We'll let you buy yourselves. Oh, 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 sure. But even still, it's insane that Microsoft or Sony wasn't like, 20 million fucking 50 million here you go i mean yeah and i kind of get the urge to want to go towards that but yeah going back to the heart of what i'm talking about i do love seeing someone like remedy being able to not only stay and you know a lot of people wanted sony to buy remedy and while i while i see an obvious fit for the type of game sony fans like and that sony likes to be uh to make um I'm honestly really glad that not only have they doubled down on being independent, but they've also doubled down on trying to res- uh, trying to get back any ownership for IP they don't have access to. Or even something as simple as like building some kind of relationship so they can make a Max Payne game, even though they don't. Because like real- realistically, why- what in the hell would Rockstar gain from trying to sell back Remedy Max Payne? And because Max Payne is a take-two IP... Uh, you know, Rockstar IP. There's, 
it's valued higher just because of the namesake attached to it. As far right. as they're concerned, they're like, even if we never make a game, it's more valuable in our hands than it is in yours. And that's just the truth. It's because facts. people who don't even know anything about Max Payne, if they said, hey, guys, we're making a new Max Payne game uh, you know, without Remedy or anything, it's still going to do well. But this is where you get that best of both worlds. Because I think the fact that Remedy's able to go to Rockstar and be like, look, look, we can remake both the first and second game and we can be tied to it, which is good for PR, for people who were a longtime fan, so you get a built-in audience. And then the rest of the audience that you're going to get is from people who just see Rockstar games attached to it. And they're going to be like, fuck yeah, new Rockstar games. Because that's exactly what happened with like, um, uh, what is that game where you play the detective um, that was real big on uh, L.A. Noir. L.A. Noir. Yeah, that's exactly what L.A. Noir was, right? It's like everyone, be- and I, I say this with love, but because of how much the casual audience doesn't really understand the developer-publisher relationship, you just see Rockstar and you think, oh, cool, it's a Rockstar game. This is from mm-hmm. the people that made Grand Theft Auto. You don't know any different. And that's really a huge benefit for developers for times like that. So it's cool to see. But if more studios are able to go out and become independent like that, you could get that. There's no reason... Well, why a studio like that and a studio like like Remedy can't be like, fuck yeah, we own Alan Wake. Do you own your shit? Cool, let's just cross over. Sure, that's fair. But here's devil's advocate. There's a non-zero chance of Brian Fargo and NXL making a Fallout game because I mean, they're owned by Microsoft. So, Of course. You know, it just depends on where the acquisition comes in. Well, but you say that, but here's the thing. Obsidian can't make a Fallout game. Necessarily, right? They could. Why could? Well, they, they could actually. I guess their own. There's no Microsoft reason they couldn't. <laughs> but why wouldn't they? But really, what I mean by that is, regardless of who directing wise goes to it, if the people that were the most responsible, in your opinion, for why you love the game, want to, they can always break off, become independent, and kind of do whatever they want. But you're right, Fallout's owned by someone. But that's, I think, why people like the idea of like Obsidian being like, um, at the time, like, you won't let us make a new Fallout game, Bethesda? Go fuck yourself. We're going to make a better Fallout game than what you've probably been doing <laughs> with the Outer Worlds. And yes, Chris, I said that to, uh, yeah. to make you do exactly the motion that you're doing right now. <laughs> but to be, to be honest, they said, well, we still want to make that type of game, so we're going to make that type of game on our own and just do a spiritual successor to what we think people liked about our game. And they and did it, and it worked. It's great. It's um, a great game, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've finally reached Act 3, or... <laughs> I've been in Act 3 of Baldur's Gate for a while. Um, I am almost done with that game. Sweet. It is a masterpiece. Yeah, I expect that it'll do a lot at the Game Awards, but we'll see how that ends up going on. Um, but if that wraps up yours, uh, does it? It does wrap me up. I'm protected. <laughs> well, you can't be protected long enough because Alan Wake 2 is coming for you, Chris. I'm um, still playing Alan Wake 2. It's, it's still amazing. Dude, the further I get into the game, the more I'm just at in awe about what Remedy have been able to do with this game and how both faithful to the original it is while also doing so much new stuff. I that, I don't want to retread a bunch of ground from last week, but the game constantly surprises me and delights me. And it's just, it's cool. It's the type of decisions you don't expect to see in the, a game of its scale, but I guess that's what happens when you can just find an independent publisher to be like, hey, will you please help fund this game without owning it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's cool. Uh, I'm at the final section of Lies of P. If you've played Lies of P, you know, uh, and I have hit the great filter. I've only tried like three times, but dude, is it a boss fight? 
<laughs> dude is it a boss fight so i felt overwhelmed you know because i'd been playing 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 up until i got to that boss fight and i was like i'm gonna take a break and play out of wake 2 so i will return to it lies of p is still a great game i hope that i'm able to beat this boss and keep going but this is the point where apparently some people hit and it's whether or not they can continue playing mm. i don't know is, is this the defiled amygdala oh <laughs> oh don't even bring so. don't even say that name oh, and i'll say that because i don't have there's another um <clears throat> from software boss from a more recent from software game that people are using to compare to this person but in the effort of uh not trying to spoil anything um even just in terms of style or design i will choose to refer are you talking about the the boss that there's a guy famous for fighting her in a pot and underwear uh, yes, if I recall correctly. Okay. Having not played the game, I can't say completely, but that sounds correct, yes. Let Me Solo Her is his name? Yes, yes, yeah. that guy. Right, cool. Yeah. So, great right. game. And interestingly, I got to see Gran Turismo 7's actual first big update that has pushed it into a far more recognizable games as a service. So, Gran Turismo 7's new update brought with it um, weekly challenges that continue to go up and so you go into your races and there's a new bar and there's like six weekly events or five and the first one's really easy second one's a little more challenging and the third one is fairly challenging um or you know i mean challenging is hard to say because i beat the third one easy but point being they kind of build and as long as you do three of the five you're going to still get like a two hundred thousand gold a week uh or you know credits a week uh and then if you can go all the way through you get like free car parts and stuff like that and it's interesting because, you know, before you can look at a game like Gran Turismo and be like, I understand how it fits the games as a service mold, but this has the games as a service hallmarks of, hey, we're going to try and invite you to play this every week so that you're constantly in the game and there's going to be benefits for you doing so. So it's been interesting to see it kind of take that uh, tone. And I almost wonder if Gran Turismo 8 is going to be further off because of this move. Because once you start adopting that thing, the question becomes, are you trying to hold on to a bigger audience for longer to get more microtransaction money? Or are you trying to move this audience into a new game where you can start the process all over again, a little more like what MLB The Show does? And I'd be curious to see how they actually aim to, to bring that to fruition. But um, that wraps up my games played this week. And, you know, Chris, with it being Thanksgiving week in uh, in the United States here, I figured that we would kind of take a soft approach on the um, communities take and just do something simple. And so with that, I decided to reach out and ask, with it being Thanksgiving week in the States, what is a game developer you are thankful for, even if they don't always get the recognition you may think that they deserve? So Chris, before I read any of the communities, do you have a developer that you feel like fits that role for you? <sighs> um, I think my answer would have fit the question a little bit better, you know, six months ago but my answer is larian i don't think anyone does what they do as well as they do i don't even think anyone makes rpgs as well as they do so well and like they make a very specific type of rpg you don't see very often right because like i guess just because i didn't really play much of it um how do you feel like people who are playing Baldur's Gate 3 and going, wow, I really like this. How do you think they would benefit from going back to like Divinity 1 or 2? Um, I've never played Divinity 1, 
but I'm fairly, I feel fairly confident in saying you could go back to Divinity 2 and feel pretty good. Yeah. I'm actually fully intending on going back to Divinity 2 once I finish this because I'm more comfortable with the systems, you know? Yeah, um, sure. I fell off Divinity because I tried to play it on hard and it was very difficult. And now that I'm at a point where I feel more comfortable with the Larian system of how they do things, like I think I might go back and actually give that another run. So I would say so. I think the biggest thing I would say about Larian is you you kind of said it, right? The most impressive thing about Baldur's Gate 3 is that it made a bunch of people like a genre that nobody plays anymore. <laughs> yeah. Or at least not in the console sphere. And I think that's a really important thing. But it also pulled a lot of people to that genre in the PC sphere for the first time. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So I would give it to Larry, and I think they're a truly incredible studio. Even with all their accolades, they don't get enough credit for being so great. So, Sure. Yeah, I think that that's, a, that's very fair. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think of who I want to throw it to. I'd say there's a few developers that come to mind because not all their games just necessarily blow up the world, but I find them to all be very good. A good example of that is Drinkbox. I think Drinkbox are just a really talented, quirky, interesting studio that gets a lot of love, but I feel like they've never quite broken out into the mainstream, despite having a lot of games that people are like, oh, hell yeah, love that game, love that game, love that game. Um, but something a little more, something a little more recent, I'm probably going to say, or I, well, recent's actually not the right word to say, but something a little more on my mind recently um, has been Media Molecule. I think that they're a very weird developer and they've had their little flashes of success, but realistically, nothing has really put them on the map quite as much as probably Little Big Planet 2 did, if not, if you don't really want to count Little Big Planet 1. That was their flash in the pan. And while people love them since then, they've just never really quite gotten that love again. But I think they're a really unique and interesting developer that I'm glad are around. And as I always say, I hope Sony never finds the the need to have to shutter them. Uh, but So I really hope Chris's, uh, <laughs> Chris's thoughts of... Uh, having a bunch of people who have won very high prestigious awards keeps you from being uh, fireproof, but <laughs> you never know, man, you can, here's the thing. You can keep those people while getting rid of the rest of the studio. It's just, what's the look. It's a, fair so point. That's a, it's a big question. I, I'm very excited to see what they end up working on moving forward, but it's just, who knows? You know, it's, it's very hard to tell in modern Sony, what a studio like media molecule would even do. So, well, because like a good point of comparison that kind of came to mind there is that the type of games that Media Molecule would normally make are kind of in line more with what you see from like what a Sobo did or not a Sobo, but is that actually what their name is? I, I might be, I'm, I'm thinking of a Sobo as the team behind Plague Tale now that I'm saying it, but the Asobi, some, whatever. Point being, the studio behind um, the. Uh, damn, what is that pack-in game called? Chris, you're muted. Please save me. <laughs> Astro's Playworld. Astro's, it's, yes. It's Team Asobi, right? Team Asobi. That sounds right. And I think Asobo is the team behind uh, Flight Simulator and Plague Tale Requiem and all that. So yeah, I think Not them, right. but Asobi. So, 
but I think Media Molecule makes those type of games. And I saw you post on Twitter um, earlier where someone was talking about how they find it crazy that Sony's not jumped on making a full-fledged uh, Astrobot game. Oh, yeah. And I saw that you were kind of saying, like, there's not necessarily been any proof that it would sell because the game has been a pack-in, which I'll push back just a little bit. One of the most popular and best-selling PSVR games was Astrobot's Rescue Mission. Uh, that, yeah, but... But that's a little different. I'll give it to you. It's not even that. It's a little different. PSVR is, like, 4% of the audience. Oh, of so course. It of course. I'm just saying there is something that has sold in relation to it and in its in its own market it was one of the best selling games for that market but that doesn't necessarily translate over you know it doesn't it might but it's not well, you know, the, immediately the, clear the, the point i was making was that there's no proof that astro could support a 70 dollar box product to the general population that's the thing. Yeah. That's not I think me the real question is if Sony's willing to let them to let that game be a forty dollar or fifty dollar yeah, direct. But, but even still, there's no evidence that it would sell because again, it's a PSVR game that was incredibly niche and it was the best PSVR game. So like you could sell anything that has the reputation of best PSVR game. That's not a hit on the game. But and then and then Playroom is a pack in that I wonder, like, as much as I enjoyed it, I wonder if you had to pay for it, if it would have been sold, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the question for me is like, yeah, Asobo's great. Astro's, excuse me, Astro's Playroom is really fun. Will it sell? I don't know. You know, someone responded to me with like, that's crazy. It just has to be good. Look at Super Mario Bros and Wii Sports and Donkey Kong. And I went, you're making my point. (laughs) <laughs> because Astrobot cannot be put on that level. And until it can be, we don't know. So uh, It's interesting that you say that, though, because one of the things that was actually kind of brought up from a lot of people with Astro's rescue mission on PSVR is that it felt like a Nintendo platformer mm-hmm. of that quality and that design language, which was odd for Sony to be putting out because they don't really have that. They, they don't have a lot of output like that. You have games like Tearaway, which I think are far more towards Nintendo's sensibilities. I think Media Molecule do make games in those sensibilities, but as we've seen, Media Molecule has gotten pushed further and further down the list of important developers for Sony. So, Mm -hmm. it was an odd thing to see. Um, So, yeah, you're right and how do they stack up against those, but I I don't know, because I remember at one point, I was hoping I could actually find it, um, how many people, I wonder, have completed Astro's Playroom? Because even though it's a pack-in, does not mean everyone's going to play it. So it's kind of that thing where you kind of wonder what that could look like, you know? Yeah. Again, it's not a hit on that, I, uh, on the game. Like, it, I've sure, never, I've, sure. That's even never if you complete it, right? Even if they completed it, it's a free game. The barrier of entry is low, but the you The Platinum wonder. has a 4% rate, so a 4.8% of the people who have played a platinum that platinum that basically means you just played it right as far as i remember from what that game no is, so. no there, there's a there's a good bit of extra stuff you have to do to get the platinum Got um, it. that a normal player wouldn't necessarily stumble across completely on their own like they could but you'd be doing extra stuff so i think it'd be more interesting to see how many people just completed it um uh, ssd you know, speedway 10 percent so about 10%, it looks like. 
Yeah, ten percent of you know fifty million units out. So I mean, you know, that's yeah. You kind of go through the thing is like, is that enough? I don't know. Yeah, is is five hundred thousand people enough? Yeah, which maybe not. Again, it just depends on the level of investment. I don't think Sony is going to invest in one of these games coming out every two or one or two years. If they until they know it's going to sell, and I'm sure it will, it's just they don't yeah. have that. We don't have that. Well, telemet- and then you run into that thing of like if they restructured Japan Studio around Asobi when they shuttered the original Japan Studio and kind of reset up their Japanese gaming, what does that look like and why? Um, and the same question could be asked towards Media Molecule. I understand that, but it, it kind of makes you wonder like, are they just going to make pack in games for all PlayStation product? And if so, why wasn't there a VR PSVR 2 pack in? Uh, Astro's game that was, yeah. you know, great but budget friendly. And why, you know, why wasn't there some kind of Astro's thing for play uh, for the portal or something that can act as a showcase for what that is? And maybe that's because there's not enough value there. But I also don't currently understand the value of that studio because as a pack in developer, they don't inherently bring in value, but they do give value to a product. But if only 10 pe- 10% of the people buying that product play it, then I guess it doesn't necessarily. Mm-hmm. translate to that important so it's a yeah. it's a good question it sounds like they're making a triple a game from all the leaks and rumors so i would imagine that that'll be the test right yeah maybe so yeah but moving on let's do the rest of these people's answers over here uh, on the discord we have rude days 93 longtime friend of the show longtime patron he says i'm going to say tango gameworks mm. going from good horror games with the evil within and ghostwire tokyo to then a 2d anime style hi-fi rush which tied zelda and mario for number of nominations at the game awards probably a hot take but i could see them being a top three studio for microsoft in the coming years it's high praise that it's is very high praise. Very yeah. high praise. I really liked Ghostwire Tokyo, and I found it very charming, and I liked it a lot. Uh, but I'm going to be honest. I think the conversation around Hi-Fi Rush was much more spirited and much better for Tango as a whole than Ghostwire was, unfortunately. Ghostwire had its flash in the pan whenever, um, I can't think of her name right now, but the girl developer was announced as being the director before she left off and did her own thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that was strictly because of her energy. That the yeah. game got it got so much attention, um, but I'd love to be wrong, and I would love to see that studio really go on. Even though it seems like um, the the head is still looking to leave soon, <laughs> so it'll be very curious to see what goes on with them. But that's a good one to do. I see a lot of people giving love to Hi-Fi Rush. Um, <clears throat> we got Root Cult. He says, I was going to say the same about Tango. He said, they've made diverse games that have all been pretty good, and Hi-Fi Rush was quality and still in my top five games of the year, which in a year with this many games is pretty impressive. I agree. Uh, we got another, and, and Rude Cold's a patron too, but we also have another longtime friend of the show, longtime patron, Josh Ayers. He says, just because I've been playing their work, Team Salvato, Doki Doki Literature Club, the, those devs seem to have disappeared, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, I haven't seen anything from them besides Doki Doki, and Doki Doki's original release was like 2015. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's not looking great, but thankfully Doki Doki coming to consoles like it did has only been a few years, like a couple years so maybe there's not much to fret upon. Maybe it's just making more money off of their successful thing while they work on something else behind the scenes. Be ashamed to see that go on. We got a few more answers over on the Twitter I want to highlight. 
We got Jason G who said, Naughty Dog? No? Okay, fine. I was going to say Capcom, but they have some good stuff. Uh, I'm thankful for NetherRealm. Sure, MK1 has some huge issues that needed addressed uh, or that need to be addressed sooner rather than later, but I'm thankful they exist and created MK1. Have some fond memories with Mortal Kombat. So thank you. They are. If anyone from NetherRealm listens to this very niche podcast, you have been thanked. Um, we got one more I'm going to highlight here and that or actually two more that's a pretty good one on the other one this one's short sweet and simple comes from Savoy Prime he says Falcom only folks who play and enjoy their games will ever understand that I'm going to tell you right now I love the East games not all of them and I am very hit or miss on them Memories of Soceta great game I failed to be able to click well with uh, Lacrimosa of Dana or however he actually pronounced that. Uh, and I really tried both on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and Vita and just could not click with it. But East Origin, fantastic game. Um, East 7, or not, yeah, yeah, East 7. Like I've played a lot of them. I like the series. But I think the series that a lot of people come to mind with them too nowadays is the Trails of Heroes. Um, mm-hmm. Or whatever the, whatever it's actually called. It's something very similar to that. And uh, I, I never really have gotten into them or tried them, but I know a lot of people. Uh, I think it's Legend of Hero Trails in the Sky, something like that. Is the, There's, you're talking <laughs> about one series with 18 sub-series in it, so... <laughs> yeah, I actually think that the the Trails series may be a sub-series of Legend of Heroes, which is that's also its own series. So Actually, exactly what it is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets very complicated. So, yeah, good shout-out to a more niche dev. I know a lot of people have loved East, and I always say East. I don't actually know how you pronounce it otherwise. Uh, but I remember I learned about East in welding class in <laughs> high school in, oh. uh, in my 10th grade year. Um because we had people from a school 20 minutes away from here that did not have any kind of, um, I don't know what you call that, I guess like that electives that are made for building skills for a job. Uh, so they would bust them here for those classes. And I'd never heard of the thing. And he's like, you've got to try it. And bam, I, I fell in love. So it's interesting to see. Last one here comes from Sweet Grand Turismo Jones. It says, most recently, New World Interactive. I know I've voiced my disgust with Call of Duty and its seemingly brilliant but poorly executed DMZ. New World makes Insurgency, a tactical eight-player co-op first-person shooter, and it's awesome. I'm thankful there's a dev that thinks there's value in such a game, which is an awesome answer. I love kind of looking and saying like regardless of how good or bad or whatever the dev may seem to a lot of people it's more of being thankful that someone sees an area of the market that's not being served and chooses to serve it at their own risk which is cool so we're going to go ahead and move into the news, but if you'd like to join us for the next Community's Take where we reach out and think of something that we're going to get your opinion on out there in the community, then head over to Twitter or X, you know, the social media site formerly known as Twitter. Find <laughs> us at Triangle SQRD. You can find us on Facebook uh, the, with a group, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast, or you can join us by clicking the link in the description below, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on podcast services, to hop into the Discord and join us for a moment a moment day-to-day talk along with so many of our other listeners patrons and friends so without further ado chris i think we're going to move into the news and the first piece of news has been good but as is the case with anything related to this game online it has stirred up a little bit of controversy (laughs) as it is one to do uh so coming off the back of 
factions not working out. Naughty Dog has announced that The Last of Us Part 2 is being remastered for the PS5. This is a full-priced release from Naughty Dog, but players who own The Last of Us 2 already will be able to upgrade their version to the remastered edition for $10. The goodies that come in the package are as follows. We'll get improved textures, models, and animations, of course. We will be able to play in 4K resolution, native and fidelity mode, or upscaled in performance mode, as has become pretty common this gen. And loading times will be greatly reduced, as you'd expect. In addition, the controls are to be modified to make full use of DualSense's capabilities. I want to take a second there. I feel fairly confident that The Last of Us 2 was one of the weird PS4 games that if you played it in backwards compatibility mode on PS5, the triggers worked as they're supposed right. to in a PS5 game. But I don't know that anybody, anything else did. I don't know if it had the, you know, the haptic feedback instead or whatever, but I remember there being talk about playing this game on PlayStation 5 revealed that there was some of those features available. Uh, But moving on, interestingly enough, The Last of Us Part 2 Remastered will not be limited to just improved graphics, but the game will also receive a new mode called No Return. This is a gameplay variant combining survival and roguelike elements where we will test our skills in clashes in which many aspects are to be determined randomly. There will be a choice of several playable characters with different abilities and the success will unlock more. Uh, there will also be characters that we've never been able to play as in the series that you will be able to play as here, which is a pretty cool idea. Be honest. Fucking Nathan Drake. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guitar free mode that was added as an expansion of the sections from the original in which you can play the guitar to your heart's content. A big, attra- a big attraction should prove to be the so-called lost levels, which are levels that were cut from the game. This will be uh, available in an early unfinished form accompanied by comments from the developers. I... Love that mode. I love that idea. Even for people that aren't necessarily into it, I think when you're doing something like this and you're making a product like this, I'm going to be honest and say that there is no amount of stuff that you can bury into the game and put into the game that will feel like too much. Mm -hmm. If you're asking someone to potentially spend $70 for a game they already have or had had, uh, or $10, it's cool to do this. But I also think that one of the things I miss about old DVDs and Blu-ray and stuff is commentary from directors and stuff as a way to entice you to play again with a new perspective that gets added by being able to play the game and hear the thoughts of someone while you're playing it. So while this isn't the whole game, it's cool to see why they were doing it originally, what the story reasons were and why they ultimately decided to cut it just so you can have that information. Um, there will be an option to include commentaries during the cutscenes, enabling us to learn anecdotes. Never mind, I guess it is throughout the whole game. <laughs> From developers and actors about how sequences in question were created. The game will also offer the familiar gameplay from The Last of Us Part 1 speedrun mode with network rankings and additional skins for Ellie and Abby. So that is via Adrian Werner from GamePressure.com. Chris decided that uh, he needed to give a shout out because I'm assuming that means that you didn't do a lot of digging and do your own stuff. So good to shout out people when you're borrowing news, as we say. No, I was not going to retype all that shit. So I was like, copy, get paste. It. There you go. Thanks, Adrian. <laughs> Credit. Yeah. Shout out, Adrian. Uh, <laughs> so look, this has been a 
this is getting hit with the same conversations that a lot of things get hit with. Does this need to be $70? Did it need to be remastered when it already had a PS5 update that allows you to play the PS4 version at 60 frames per second? Um, if I was not mistaken that the triggers already worked, it just kind of starts to be a thing of like, why is this happening? But I think there's very there's two very important things. First thing that came about that was clear was that Apparently, this was for new hires at Naughty Dog, and this was made as a small team project to get people working while they're working on their new IP that was also confirmed to be in the works. Secondarily, I really think that this has the answer that I think some people felt a a slight uncomfort with with The Last of Us Part 1, which is that it was $70 for a Mm. remake of a game with no cheaper option if you own any any of the other ones. And there was a long delta between the releases. And I'm not going to say that it's completely wrong that it was $70 or it was completely right and that people were wrong to think that they shouldn't get some kind of thing for cheaper. But I think that there's a much easier conversation here that this is a $10 upgrade for anyone who owns it, which that game did not have on the part one. So it's very hard to complain for anyone who already owned it. And for other people who have never played it, this is a $70, a great $70 title that you do not have to pay $70 for. You can buy the PS4 version, play it no problem as it's on sale. And this seems like a really easy way to go about this. So Chris, I know that you and I at one point in time kind of disagreed over the pricing aspect and lack of multiplayer and everything in The Last of Us Part 1. How mm-hmm. are you feeling the price and everything comes into the conversation here for The Last of Us Part 2? Seems totally fine. Yeah? Yeah, this seems fine. Well, I know you were like a staunch defender of them for the first one. Yeah. And I even understand why. I didn't completely disagree with you so much as I still just felt like I can understand the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, I'm very much in line with you. I don't know that this is the right kind of thing to be worried about. It's an optional product, for, as we all say. And a lot of new eyes got on the series of The Last of Us after the very successful show um, first season. So, I want to say this feels obvious and not disappointing at all to me. Yeah, I don't truly have any issue with this. It just kind of seems like, I don't know, the one issue you could even make up is, well, Naughty Dog Dog hasn't done anything other than Last of Us remakes in like 10, 15 years. But, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I think what you'd say is the last non-Last of Us output they put out was Lost Legacy in 2017. That yeah, sounds right. I think so. Yeah. So so before that, if you want to go full game, you'd say Uncharted 4 in 2016? Yeah. And I think that's the thing is I think Naughty Dog is a studio that moves very slowly. And if this is like one of those things where it's like, okay, we're going to have a bunch of new hires put this together, show us their chops on bringing this game forward while we're all working on our superhero card game or whatever the hell they're doing. Like that, that's fine. That's cool. Like, I understand the like fanboy need to be like, oh, this is fucking ridiculous, blah 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 blah. But like, this is a product you don't need to buy. That is pretty cool. The game is good, and there's a lot of extra stuff. You know, I think Greg Miller said it. I didn't listen to the kind of funny thing, but I saw it on Twitter where he was saying like, the the roguelike mode alone could have been a twenty dollar downloadable game. And people probably would have shit their pants for it. And it's coming to you with The Last of Us with a bunch of free stuff. And for $10, if you own the game already, what is there to complain about? (laughs) Yeah. 
I actually think that that's the other cool thing here is while you may not have multiplayer in this title still, I see this $70 as a much easier barrier than the than the barrier we saw for $70 for part one because in my mind, I look at this and think, yeah, there's new content here. There's right. there's missing content from the other thing. There's a bunch of different things that happen. So um, I think when you look at it that way, it's kind of just how it works out. Um, so with that in mind... Uh, I'd love to see what they end up having come out on the other side. But until then, we'll just kind of have to wait and see. So moving on to the next piece of news here, we've got Jeff Grubb uh, has felt a vibration in the force. And it's not good news for Knights of the Old Republic fans. His reporting is that Sony has pulled funding from the project and it is basically dead at Embracer Group. Uh, The beleaguered publisher has been hemorrhaging employees and studios recently with about 900 layoffs and 12 games being shut down as part of their restructuring to try and save their financial status. Um, Jeff says that there is nobody currently working on the game after Sony abandoned the project, after it had moved from Aspear or Aspire, whoever, I can't remember how you actually pronounce that, to Saber Interactive, and then once again to another studio with the previous problems that we had heard about in development. Uh, So this is unfortunate. And uh, one of those things where if you're really excited to see a game that a lot of people have heard about and it's been very influential, but you wanted a newer way to play it in a better fashion, uh, you're out of luck. And I think this goes to highlight what I've said often about there's a really delicate balance that you play when you choose to announce something really early because yeah. you never know when that announcement's going to come back to bite you in the ass. Um you never know when it's going to go. It's the unfortunate reality of trying to release something. You want to build hype for your product by saying, look at this exclusive remake for a beloved game that we're going to have. But you run the risk of having to also be like, yeah, that game that we talked about is never coming. <laughs> so I I will say that this sounds weird and I was really excited for this. But if a game was going to get canceled and get lost, I think a remake of an existing title is better than a new IP falling between the cracks and us getting one less new idea hitting the game's sphere. I know it happens, and it probably happens all the time, and we just don't hear about it because there's no cachet to the name necessarily. Um, but there are worse things than a remake getting canceled. Who knows? Maybe it'll find new life again if there's enough uh, online demand for it. But going to give Chris a second to uh, plug... We had to move some stuff around from a tech perspective because we were still having issues like we were last week, but thankfully we got that fixed. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm sorry. My, uh, I can't find the cord to plug into my headset, so I'm, fight- I'm, fighting, I'm fighting for my life here to try and get the headset cord. Chris and tech are having just a real back and forth lately, you know? It's so will, will he or won't they, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Leave you all in suspense. Uh, But Chris, with that in mind, I mean, you know, remakes have already been a hot topic of discussion, both from how they might drown out, um, you know, new IP in the the games industry and how they may push out uh, recognition for games that should get it over a remake and all that different stuff that was happening. Kind of like we talked about last week, but with a game like KOTOR kind of falling through the cracks, I mean... What's your what's your stance on this? And you know, do you think it's ultimately fine, or would you have you know preferred this happen a different way? Um, I would have liked to see this come to fruition, but I do think in the end it's ultimately fine. Um, but you did bring up something I wanted to comment on, just because I think I have an expanded thought on it. You were saying that remakes might overshadow new games, and I want to make one thing clear: I want to say something from my heart and. <laughs> 
J- just to clarify, there are other people who are saying that. I, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know it's not you. I, I get it. I don't know where I land on it yet. I like but, a lot of remakes, so, so I let won't me, talk negatively about them maybe, necessarily. Maybe you'll you'll be able to argue the, the point against mine, but... Sure. Let's see if I can devil's advocate. If your new game is outclassed by a remake of an old game, why do you deserve Game of the Year, even though that's a remake? I think you kind of expressed <laughs> this last week, and I want to be honest... I don't know that I disagree. If your game that is a remake of an of a title that already existed is still better yeah. than a lot of what's come, here's where I think it gets complicated, though. I'm be I'm going to be honest as to the devil's advocate part of it, right? I think it gets hard from a person to person person basis to understand where it's coming from because sometimes the our, sometimes the success can come from the nostalgia and love and expectation that's been built around a game that's already existed that's getting the remaster treatment where it might not be viewed as positively or as forgivingly or anything if it was uh, if it was the same exact game but didn't actually happen before. And I know that sounds really weird to what if, because it's like, you can't do that. But my point being is that some people are going to love Resident Evil 4 remake more because of the fact that they had such nostalgia and love for the original. But just to be fair on that, conversely, there are people I've seen online say that the Resident Evil 4 remake is like a, uh, what did they say? It's like a, I can't even remember the wording, but it's, Basically, like a simplified version of like a like a walk through a house of uh, you know like a fun house version of Resident Evil Four, and it's not nearly as good, and it loses so much in the transition. And having not played it, I can't insane. speak to any of that. But I think it is funny that just as much as nostalgia can build up expectation and excitement, and potentially your viewpoint of a remake. If you've played it before, they can also do the exact opposite. <laughs> so it's it's really hard to say, but at the end of the day, <clears throat> for someone who's never played your game, if they play it for the first time and they go, Wow, this is the best thing I've played all year, how is that how does that invalidate that opinion? It doesn't. That's the thing. And I think it's just cope. Part. It's it, look, I'm not trying to start a fanboy war here. But I do not think we would be having this conversation in earnest if Starfield was on this list. If it was Resident Evil, Starfield, the rest of the field, I don't think this conversation would happen. I think this conversation is happening because there's a giant conversation right now in the industry about the fucking Xbox tax and people talking about the narrative around Starfield when the reality is that Starfield is a really good Bethesda game and Bethesda hasn't improved their craft in 20 years. That's not a bad thing. You can continue to make fine games. Netherrealm gets away with it all the time. They make the same game with slightly better mechanics and better graphics. That's exactly what Starfield is compared to Fallout 4. But I think right now, if the field was, let's say they dropped Mario Wonder. And I like Mario Wonder. I think it probably deserves to be there for the game it is. If they drop Mario Wonder and put Starfield in there, I don't think we're having this conversation. Right? I don't think we are. I think what the conversation at that point we're having is, well, why is midfield here? And, oh, game of the generation. Look, we got to, you know what I mean? It would just 
turn to console warring. And right now it's Xbox fans and people in general. I'm not saying this is a strictly Xbox conversation because we've had this conversation before. But I think right now it's being heightened by the fact that a lot of people wanted Starfield to be there. And fucking you could say the same thing about Hogwarts Legacy. Like it doesn't have to be Starfield. I just think the catalyst is Starfield because it's the most uh what's the word? It's the most, I guess, toxic. That's not exactly the right word I'm looking for, but it's the most toxic conversation, right? Like you talk about Starfield and it's a fight and there's an argument and it's 83 on Metacritic and people on Steam don't like it, but it's the best selling game. Of all. You know what I mean? Like it just goes back and forth. Well, so, yeah, and there's drama around both of them. I think what it is is that the drama around Hogwarts and why people are very likely looking at why it's probably not getting any kind of nod. And it's weird because, right, for some people, they re- they really feel like Hogwarts is like top tier, one of the best games this year. Uh, and even not. though <laughs> what, from what I played, I don't really know that I think that. I, I want to go back no. and beat it so I can really say that. But let's just follow the line of that it is. I think it's uh, I think it's understandable given the reason why it's, you know, being viewed as probably not getting its nod is more reasonable than uh, why I think the reason that some people think that Starfield's not getting the nod. I think Starfield just had a lot of competition. And I agree with you. I've been saying for a long time. Uh, I think Bethesda were considered ahead of the craft for a long time because they kind of pioneered and really set the expectation for large, open-ended games with lots of possibility. And they kind of ruled that for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is once other games started coming out and matching that scope and size and breadth of content and quality of content, I have long said I don't think Bethesda upped their game. I don't know if they know how to. So instead what happens is their game that used to be really ahead is now just being shown as still really good. Yeah. People have a great time with it. They're well-made games that are still, still very Bethesda like, and you're not going to get that exact experience from almost anyone else. And so there's still value for them. Their value is just, decreased in context to the rest of the industry. Well, um, one thing, another way I can see having that conversation to be fair though, um, if it wasn't for Starfield, like what well, let's, let's follow your story, right? If we took super Mario out, um, and our Mario wonder, whatever it's called, and we replaced it with dead space remake, I think the conversation would happen there because two of the six nominees are remakes and in a year with all these new games, what does that look like? So, I can see other catalysts, uh, but I, th- I think you're right. I-, I do think what's really happening is that there's something that someone feels was pushed out, and the the most obvious thing is to go, well, look, there's a remake there. Does it really deserve to be there? Right. Um, but in-, in kind of in the spirit of that, we have a question from Rude Days 93, longtime listener, longtime patron. He says, um, looking at the Game Awards and seeing it dominated by remakes and sequels, as we talked about last week, you know, for all the conversation about remakes – not enough conversations happen around sequels, I feel like. But he says, do you think reviewers and critics should start recognizing and awarding new IP more, maybe even offering, as Chris kind of brought up the idea of a tax, maybe even offering a positive new IP tax? This is a really interesting question because I'm going to tell you. Actually, Chris, I want to hear I want to hear your gut because I already know mine and I'm locked in. I'm curious. What's your kind of thought here? Absolutely not. I think this is a terrible idea. (laughs) I apologize. I hope that's not mean, but I think this sucks. Because here's the reason why. Because at that point, you're not judging the game on its merits, right? Yeah. Is Immortals, like you played Immortals of Avium. What would you give Immortals of Avium? 
Uh, probably a seven and a half or so an it's eight. a 9.5 because it's a new IP. Yeah. That's, that doesn't make any sense. Here's the yeah. thing, right? Baldur's Gate three is fucking fantastic. It doesn't matter that it's a sequel. Like it sucks that new IPs don't get held up anymore, but here's the thing, right? You, this has been a topic of conversation in the games industry forever. Why don't we get more new IPs? Why don't we get more new IPs? Why don't we get more new IPs? Is is it not obvious why we don't get more new IPs? <laughs> we got a new IP in Immortals of Avium, and everyone went, well, it doesn't look very good. I'm not buying it. The st- it sold so little that the studio is basically dead. So you're going to get fucking Call of Duty 16. Like that's the, like that's why if you want new IPs you have to buy them. You 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 just do and people don't buy new IPs. Very rarely do they buy new IPs. You have to have the cachet or the willingness to take a dump on on the money you spent to do a new IP. And as we all know, the gaming industry is a industry. It is for profit. So Alan Wake 2 is going to do better than a new IP. That's a terrible example, actually. But Call of Duty is going to do better than a new IP. Grand Theft Auto 6. Also a terrible. <laughs> I, I'm with you, but dude, using one of the absolute biggest IP in the world. Let, let's scale it down some. I'm just going to be honest. Like, let's scale it down. The Yakuza, Last of Us 2 is going to like sell a, like better. A dragon, I'm, I'm, you know, like a Dragon uh, Infinite Wealth is probably going to do better than Immortals of Avium did. Yeah, it, sure, exactly. But, but that's the thing. The reason you keep getting Call of Duties is because it started small when it was cheap to start small, and it got bigger, 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 and now budgets are 100 million, but 50 million people buy Call of Duty, so it doesn't matter. It's yeah. the same with everything. Sony, and I think that's the thing. You have to be very specific to do a new IP. Xbox can get away with doing new IPs because that that Bioshock Infinite ripoff is going to be on Game Pass. You can play that so game. You I just can't up, remember the name. So I'm not I'm, trying no, I'm to talk you. shit about it. No, I'm with you. But I actually no. Here, Clockwork Revolution. Yes, you, but you have you have touched on something that I think is a is a conversation point that is going to happen. It's inevitable. Someone's thinking it while listening to it right now, and I want to take a second to explore it because I'm actually trying to kind of gauge my own feelings around it. And that is, do you think the push toward a subscription service oriented industry that is happening on multiple fronts right now, um, do you think that that is pushing people? Away from now, I don't mean companies, I do mean consumers. Do you think it's pushing consumers even further away from trying a new IP because of the expectation that it will soon hit a subscription service and they can play with less risk involved? Whereas, if you see, oh, cool, I really liked Yakuza 7. Uh, or I really liked Yakuza, uh, yeah, let's call it Yakuza 6, but Yakuza 7 was a little weird, but you know what? Yakuza 8, I still like the series. I'm going to be more likely to buy it day one out of fear of missing out and not being part of the cultural talk because it's a big game with cachet and with online discussion that's happening because it's already built into the name. Do you think that that's actually a reasonable thing for people to kind of mentally go down if you're looking at reasons why a new IP may not be doing as well? Or what do you think is going on there? Do you think 
subscription services can be a boon to new IP, but only from people who actually control the subscription service, like a Microsoft? Or do you think even smaller studios can do a new IP in the AAA realm? I should say, you know, um, you know, someone like EA, EA is not a small studio. They're a big publisher, but you know, what do you think is going on? Um, I mean, I think in my head, the answer is no, right? Because Corey Barlog's new IP is not going to be on PS plus. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It, it's, I think it's entirely dependent on who's doing it, right? When Sony announces a new IP, it's going to sell. It doesn't matter. But even that's going to be tested. Is Concord going to get bought? Is Fair Games? You know, we don't, we don't know the answers. Are those even going to be box products? Those might be bad examples. Right? But I think the best example of how you get to this point is you look at something like the movie industry, right? Where, you know... Damien Leone with Terrifier basically did that whole thing himself. Terrifier 1 has a budget of $35,000. Yeah. Right? Terrifier 2 had a bigger budget. Now Terrifier 3 is basically a full-blown property. Yeah. Right? And it's because it grew from something small. And there was very little risk. And people loved it. And they supported it. Terrifier 2 was a kickstarted. I think it was 250 grand they made off that. So the budget got bigger. And now Terrifier 3, they're having their own issues because of the level of violence in those fucking movies. But it's it's being at least looked at by big studios. And I think that's the thing right now is games. You can't make a game for $35,000. So you the risk is inherently bigger so you have to have cachet or you have well, to be willing to throw it into game pass and then if you look at what unproven studios are getting on game pass you look at the the lawsuit email right where the analyst for microsoft was saying it'll cost us five million dollars to put Baldur's gate three on game pass and the, the studio head sven was like i'd love to meet that fucking analyst you know what i mean because they don't know how to value Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate 3 is the third one of the Baldur's Gate series, but for all intents and purposes, that's a new game, right? That's not really... Yeah. It, it, it's connected to that sequel, but it's a different developer, different... It's, I think it's the same publisher, but it's not... None of the people making Baldur's Gate 3 made Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. So you could argue that's a, that's more or less a new IP. It just... it's it's a, It's a nebulous thing, but I don't think... So just to throw this out there for the importance of it, mm. Larian is the publisher of Baldur's Gate 3. I wasn't sure. Yeah, so I wasn't sure if Wizards of the Coast was involved. Wizards there. of the Coast just holds the IP and determine who they let use it. So there you go. They did it themselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's the yeah, thing. It's super important to note because I think that a lot of people were talking about like Larian and whether or not they're a, an independent studio and Absolutely what does that mean are. when they're using IP that's tied to one of the biggest companies in the world with something like Wizards of the Coast. But I think it's really important to say that all that they got was permission to yeah. use the IP they from paid. Wizards of the Coast when they asked for it. They but for the for most that. part, this is a game <laughs> That was made and published at huge risk of their of themselves at right. Larian. I think that's really it's really important because it is different. And that, um, it, it is it's very different than someone like EA floating the bill. And yeah, it still has a huge impact on Ascendant Studios when Immortals doesn't sell well. But the difference is is that they didn't put their own money up 
mm-hmm. EA did. And the problem yeah. is, is this, once EA's funding's gone, Ascension can't stay up on their own because of that, or send it, whatever the studio is called. But Larian really risked a lot on their own to make a game and put it out there, um, separate of having the publisher bear the brunt of what happens, you know? Yeah, I'll go back to what I, what I was saying in the last thing, right? The, the point I made where if your new IP can't stand up to sequels, it's not the sequel's fault. <laughs> it's. I do want to go back to the question uh, while also quickly saying that I am not so sure that at least the reasonable fear that someone might come across in their mind that subscription services can be problematic to games that um, are multi-platform and have a higher chance mm-hmm. of hitting it. Because I agree with you. Um, the new IP that Santa Monica is apparently working on is not at risk of being on a, a, a sub a subservice day one. It's just not from anything no. that we have. There's no reasonable way to expect that. Excuse me, expect that. So you would look <laughs> at it, yeah, and you would and you would think, I don't really need to worry about that. But I think when you're looking at something like Immortals of Avium and a year as crowded as this one is, and you look and go, do I try this new IP that does look at least somewhat interesting, or do I play these other big games that are sequels to game series I've known about forever and then just try that when it eventually hits a service down the line where my risk is is little? And I don't blame the consumer for that thought process, and I don't blame... um, someone else for thinking that consumers may be choosing that thought process, even if they aren't really, it's just kind of the nature of there are more people, more fingers to point. And it starts to get a little more complicated when you have something as big as a net as game pass is cast over the industry and not look at it and go, maybe that's impacting something here. Um, but going back to the heart of the question that was asked, Chris, mm. um, my, my immediate gut reaction is both, the same as yours. I think that this goes exactly to what we're talking about with the uh, question around what uh, Gene Park mentioned about the guy making the soundtrack for Final Fantasy 16 while Mm -hmm. he was doing cancer. Um, And while that is an insane feat and awesome, that it should not prompt us to award that game over what might actually just be a better set, you know, uh, a, a better score somewhere else. And so you look at it here and you think the same, like, yes, what I love for there to be some way for new IPs to get better recognition and awarding. Yes, I would. But I, I don't know if I think the idea of doing it with a tax that pushes new IP above existing IP to be the way to go about it. I think the better way to go about it from like a game awards standpoint, if we want to look at it that way, even would be to really focus in and, and really make sure that you highlight and celebrate a category of best new IP. Absolutely. And, and you don't take away from existing games and you still give the same opportunity for this new IP to not only win best new IP, but game of the year, if it really is that good. I think that's the best way to do it. And as far as reviewers and critics are concerned, I I think that it's on, I, I think it's kind of a self thing where the people who are doing the job, of reviewing and critiquing these games, I feel like the impetus is a little bit on them to, in their writing, try and give a positive, not a not a wrong or lying spin, but try to highlight that this is a new studio or a new IP doing something and trying something new and being open about 
saying where it succeeds and where it fails at those attempts, but making sure that it tries to highlight the fact that it is a new IP and just give it some kind of like, hey, if this is your thing, this is doing something new and interesting and exciting. And it's bringing a lot of new ideas to the table and mixing some for the first time ever. And while it's not the best thing in the world, it has a lot of promise and maybe a second one can do something. But I think that that's just content. I don't think you should Mm -hmm. adjust your score. And honestly, as we've talked about, a lot of things, scores are problematic and the industry built around it. It really is unfortunate because if there were no score, and you read a review, I bet a lot of reviews probably do talk about that. But that's not what most people look at. They just look and go, what did this get on Metacritic? Mm-hmm. A 90? Sweet, I'll yeah. get it. What did this get on Metacritic? A 75? <clears throat> There's a lot of 82s that came out this year. Why would I waste time on a 75? And there might be a great reason to waste time on a 75 if you read the reviews and found out that, oh, this is the exact type of game I'd be interested in. Well, and <laughs> here's the thing. It's hard to hear, but... Um this is it's <laughs> this year was the worst year they could have released Immortals of Avium because this is I think this it is maybe a, this is, could be a topic we have down the line but I think a, almost subjectively this is probably the be, single best year for video games in terms of the games we're allowed to play obviously the industry is fucking falling apart it's been over seven thousand people who've lost their jobs in the industry that part of the industry is a nightmare. But, but on a consumer level. Exactly. In terms of what I got to play this year, it was fucking sick. And Immortals yeah. doesn't stand up. But Immortals comes out in 2014. It's one of the top six best games of the year. Because fucking Dragon Age Inquisition won that year. And that game is garbage. So I'll be honest, dude. I, I, if you could have gotten Immortals out of the door last year, I think it might have done a lot better. Definitely. To be honest, depending on what next year ends up looking like, Mm -hmm. a 2024 Immortals might have been the right call. But I understand that when you start making a game like that, which probably took five years to make, maybe four years if they were lucky, you you can't have the foresight to know that this year is going to be packed this way. And then you're just left with the well, EA really needs us to close in this time period. So we're going to have to push the game out even if it's not the best thing for it because we need to get something out so that our that we see some kind of return on this investment for you know our our numbers for our shareholders and that sucks because it's not the best thing for the game or even if you want to look at it from a product it's not the best thing for the product but it is the thing that the company pushing the product out needed to do and that sucks it really yeah. genuinely sucks um like who like, knows you can always have a weird second blast i mean as a lot of games <clears> have enjoyed but um it'll probably come say, to ps plus and game pass and it'll do well there I'm just saying for 2014, so. fucking Dark Souls 2 is on that game of the year list. And that game, by every metric, is bad. So <laughs> Chris um, is going into hyperbole. Dark no, Souls 2 I'm is not. a fine game, it's but bad. it's nothing like the rest. It's better than like The Surge, but that doesn't make it a good game. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, All right, let's keep going along. Uh, unless you have something else you want to add, I'll, no, I'll let you. My biggest thing is, is that I do agree with your take is I would love a category that's just Rookie of the Year. <laughs> that yeah. would be great. And that's where I'd want to see it. I do not want to see a review on IGN that's like, looks like a fucking Baldur's Gate temporary health, health HP thing where it's like, oh, it's an 8.5 plus two for new IP, 10.5. I don't think that's, I don't think that's healthy 
for the industry. I don't think it is either. And one thing I want to know, I guess, when thinking about it from the Game Awards standpoint, uh, one of the things that would have to happen there, the Game Awards has been pushing more and more awards away from the limelight and, and giving them away behind the, the, um, behind the scenes. And I, what I would hope to see if they're really going to do that and they're going to push this thing up is letting this be one of the biggest awards, the, the second to last award given. Because the last award is always Game of the Year. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I would hope that you treat new IPs and you come into this saying new IPs are important. Doing something different and new creatively keeps this industry alive and shakes it up so that these existing IP can get new inspiration and maybe do something new. Or new IPs can continue to come from ideas that spread from this one new IP or this mm-hmm. two or whatever. And so the, the importance of that, if they make that one of the biggest awards of the night, yeah, I think that that would be a huge deal. If you do it right before game of the year, I think it would be awesome. Because you get to what you're basically saying is, regardless of whether these games match up to the quality of game of the year, these are the new IP. This is what new talent's bringing into this industry. And we want to highlight that, give these all a chance for these nominations to get some new blood, some new new ears. But hey, maybe this is the first time you've heard about Immortals of Avium in this busy ass year. So let's let's bring it up. And then yeah. you can go, okay, cool. And then you can you can really set in and make that a big deal, and then you can go off and do your game of the year. And I would love for that to be, but that would have to be how it's done. I don't think it can be relegated to best new IP was given away on a commercial break where we watched the shit guy fight Mortal mm-hmm. Kombat character. It's like that's that's not what we're going for. You know, it, it needs yeah. to be given a real sense of uh, prestige. Yeah, and Jeff, and I think conversely that will help new IP developers be like that gives us drive to want to do better so that we can really get that prestige if we win that award. Well, hell, and I don't think about, any developers going into making a game being like, yeah, let's not give a shit about what we're making. It's just a carrot on a stick. It's a, it's one more carrot on a proverbial stick for them to right. be like, if we work a little harder, maybe we can get that. Hell, if look, the thing is Jeff is as much as we talk about the websites, Jeff is the only is the probably the only person who can really change this, right? Because he has the biggest stage. So maybe instead of chasing a bunch of big trailers, maybe a couple of those are new IPs and he highlights those. Or instead of giving out awards during commercials, do a second web-only show where all the trailers are new IP trailers. And hey, here's fucking esports coach of the year and here's a new IP from Swery 65, you know? And I... I, I think it's important to note that I don't think Jeff is doing a terrible job. I actually no, I think don't he either. goes relatively out of his way to try and highlight new IP. Uh, all I would be saying is just because we're giving critique does not mean that it's doing bad. But as with all things, it's always good to view anything as you can always do better. Because the reality of all things is that you, there's always a better way to do something. Nothing's ever perfect. And being able to strive towards that helps. So, yeah, the, the more push that you can give towards new IP and as many and as big of an audience and stage as you can, the better. Exactly. So. Anyway, what's next? All right, let's keep going on. Let's do Housemark here has lost one of its game directors. Harry Kruger, a man with his fingerprints all over the studio's titles, uh, is leaving the studio after 15 years. He last directed Returnal, but has credits on Outland, Resogun, and Next Machina before he decided not to return to his position as director. Um, oh, Jesus Christ. Terrible joke, but I needed <laughs> to put it in there. Um, this brought up a question because a lot of stuff has been happening around. And I, I want to make this quick because I think it's a fairly quick thing to say, but um, 
there's been a couple of things happening at studios that have been being acquired where head talent's leaving. That's regardless of whether it's Sony acquiring, if that's Xbox acquiring, all sorts of things have been happening where people are leaving. And I think that there's a conversation going around the industry right now of are the acquisitions the reason for the leaving or not? So I think the question I kind of want to pose is, do you think that the acquisitions themselves are fueling these people to want to step away from these companies? Or do you think that this is just typical what we should expect of the industry and it just so happens to have a new limelight on it because of the acquisitions, putting more spotlights on some of these studios than what were previously on them? Um, <laughs> I think this is just... There's probably some aspect about the acquisitions, but I do think that in every industry, it is normal for people to leave for new horizons. This is not, we're not. So you're saying he's going to work on the next horizon game. I fucking hope not use his talent for something (laughs) better. Um, My hope, my, my point is more like, you know, in the restaurant industry, it's like you work at a place two or three years and you move on. And even for me, after a year, I'm like, I got what I needed for my resume. I'm happy to stay here. But if I find something better, that's a promotion or more money or a new challenge. I'm going to go and look in that direction because I'm always trying to improve my CV or improve my knowledge base. Right. Like right now, I always I joke with my staff where I'm like, the final boss of my career is Dave and Buster's. (laughs) Um, Right. Because that's the type of industry I'm in. And if I want to get away from that, I have to go and be like, okay, now I'm going to go do chilies. Right. And that could be the same thing he's doing. Or maybe he just wants to fucking smoke weed and sit in a hammock for a bunch of times because he's rich. You know, I think we, the video game industry is highly scrutinized. And now we're like, oh, why is he leaving? The reality is he probably just might want some time off or he wants to go do a first person shooter or he wants to make his own studio or again, he wants to smoke weed in a hammock because he's rich. Like there are so many reasons people move on from jobs. It's, it's just that the video game industry is so heavily in the public eye that we're overanalyzing people making normal decisions with their lives. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I want to say a good example of someone that not everyone loves, but I think he, I think he acts as a good way of showing how a, a rise in popularity and expectation as studios um, or as expectations grow. Um, David Jaffe often talks about how he doesn't know if he'd want to ever come back to gaming because the landscape of what gaming is definitely, uh, uh, you know, because a lot of people are like, well, you should go back to Sony and make this or this or this. And he often says like, Making a game at Sony's level now is not what it was when he was making games at Sony's level mm-hmm. because Sony was starting up. Games were cheap. The risks were a lot different. Um, and I think that he got a lot of notoriety for being involved with some of the biggest IP that you know Sony has either longest-running IP like Twisted Metal or one of the biggest IP that Sony has like God of War. Um, and I think it's completely reasonable for someone to go cool. The studio that I've been at and been able to build, build, build has got bought by this very big company, which is great for all the people that work here, but that's not what I'm looking for. I don't want the expectation or the stress that comes with being owned by that. So I'm going to be great that the people I've worked with have got some kind of new, more stable opportunity. And I'm going to step away to do more what's in line with the type of creation I want to make, which is where it's high risk, high reward, uh, or, Maybe it's something as simple as I just want to make chill games and not worry about whether or not the person funding it 
is going to, you know, shut down the studio just because of, right. you know, it, it's, it's, it, it may be something simple. And yeah, that is potentially concerning because Sony buys them and one of the directors of a, one of their very beloved games leaves. But I feel like it's the cycle of the industry. It's not really that surprising. And it's unfortunate to see just like seeing Sefton Hill and the other guy leave from uh, Rocksteady. But, you know, that, People change, people move on, and they want to do different things. And uh, all that really comes down to is, for as much as we talk about how scrutinized and public uh, the games industry is in terms of people knowing about things, I think it's important to note, too, that um, for for all that happens there, people do not give enough credit to the fact that just because a studio name doesn't change in 30 years doesn't mean that everything about that studio has not changed. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day... Maybe Naughty Dog's next game just won't be for me. Maybe it won't be for you. Maybe it won't be for anybody. I don't know the answer to that, but the reality is is that the Naughty Dog that I love that made Crash Bandicoot is not the Naughty Dog that I love that made The Last of Us Part Mm 2. And at some point, they just may be the Naughty Dog I don't love. Just like Starfield has become the... Or Bethesda has become the Bethesda I don't really love. I didn't love Fallout 4. I wasn't head over heels for it. I, can't, I haven't even been able to draw myself to actually play Starfield, which I have moderate interest in. I would not be surprised if in four years from now I still haven't played it. I'm be dead honest <laughs> with you. Because I, I don't have that drive. Because Bethesda has kind of moved away from being a studio that I care about in that way. Right. Because we both changed. They've changed and I've mm-hmm. changed. And arguably, I guess my complaint is they've not changed enough. <laughs> but it's not you it's know. not you, it's us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and why does that have to be such a bad answer? Yeah, it's not. Even in breakups, <laughs> when people are like, That's terrible. Why? Right. Why can't it actually be? Look, it's nothing that you did. I I just don't want this anymore. Yeah. Or I want something different and I know that now. Why is that a problem? So people need explanations. <laughs> uh, moving on and very distressing news for one of our hosts Warhammer 40k Space Marine 2 has been delayed into the back half of 2024 no release date was announced but we might have some clarity on that after the game awards the publisher said the game was delayed for polish and that we would find out more on the release date in early December making it the most anticipated announcement coming in early December right right Chris yes right absolutely true yeah you don't think any <laughs> Any rock stars are going to pop out of the woodworks and uh, have something new to show? I hope not. That's the worst energy drink, so I'd yeah. prefer they just stayed in the... There's going to be a sequel to Rock A City announced. Dude, I've genuinely been considering buying that game. <laughs> Chris, buy it. <laughs> well, I just bought High on Life, so I'll maybe later, but well, there I you do want to play Rock A City. It, it seems so bad I want to try it so badly. Hey, can't even judge you at that point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So uh, I don't have a whole lot to say here. Uh, this is unfortunate, but a lot of games are getting delayed. And honestly, the same thing that we talked about with the Mortals of Avium may just be that even though this is a sequel and a, and a known IP, maybe the, maybe this year is not the best time to release that game. <laughs> that just may be the real answer. It's the right so time I'm going to move me. on into the, the next piece of news. Uh, Savage Studios, who, if I'm not mistaken, Sony recently purchased, yep, has rebanded to... Neon Koi and got a new fancy logo as a result. It is a cool logo. I actually really like it. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't really know how I feel about this because I've yet to see anything come out of Sony's mobile department that I care <laughs> yeah. about. So I don't get this. First off, you went from a bad name to like a worse name for me, in my opinion. 
I don't mind the name. I, I actually think the logo is much more memorable and cool. So I'll give yeah, them that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just thought this whole story was weird. That's why I put a thousand exclamation points next to it. But I'm always surprised when someone gets bought and then rebrands because it's like, well, is the value not in your name to yeah, some degree? Right. But right. maybe not. Maybe it was just in the in the Imagine tech or the know-how or what. You buy Bioware and you're like, oh, you're going to be EA Edmonton. <laughs> Enjoy. It's weird. <laughs> Stupider things have happened. I hate to be the one to tell you that. Uh, got a couple more things here. Vivendi robbed games of, uh, gamers of a potential franchise of Simpsons games. While talking with MinMax hit-and-run producer, John Melchior revealed that Radical Entertainment was preparing to work on the sequel and other games in that universe for course hit and run five games to be precise vivendi bid on the license and were offered a five game deal for an undisclosed amount of money this was turned down by the publisher and they pivoted to games like the classic buffy the vampire slayer john was as surprised as anyone else saying that the studio expected to be building a franchise and even dropped that matt groaning had pitched a medieval game that was to be worked on by Stormfront after they finished their Lord of the Rings title. Um, so this is just one of those interesting pieces of gaming history where um, what could have been. Yeah. To make it clear, it was not a franchise of hit and run games. It was a Simpsons franchise of video oh, games. Oh, yes. Including yes, but the... They were working on a sequel to Hit and Run as right. well as other Simpsons games. Yes. Yeah, I think good, that's Good what, clarification. Right, yeah. So... Sucks. Hit and run is fun. Okay. Hit and run's fun, but I'm also going to say what might be sacrilege to a lot of people right now. I think it's just, it, it's a fun game. It's fine. I'd rather have a sequel to Crazy Taxi. I'd rather have a sequel to Motortune Grand Prix. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Realistically, I'd rather have a sequel. Well, Crazy Taxi is more genre aligned with Hit and Run, so I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So we'll move on. Uh, but that's a cool little what if. A couple other things we're going to talk about here. Suicide Squad has popped back up after a lengthy silence. Um, after it was confirmed that it was actually going to be delayed uh, when they tried acting like it wasn't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> this time bearing a new trailer and an announcement for a clo- for a quote, closed alpha tech test, end quote, that runs from November 30th to December 4th. If I'm not mistaken, if you sign up for this, you have to sign an NDA saying that you won't talk about the game, uh, which is not really that surprising. It's just kind of funny that this game was originally supposed to be coming out this year then wasn't going to be pushed back and then clearly got pushed back and now they're just talking about doing an alpha tech test <laughs> with an NDA yeah I signed up that brings us to a question oh. uh, that comes from Josh Ayers one of our longtime patrons listeners he says any interest in Suicide Squad I signed up for the beta it may deter me but I will say I'm there day one for now. Chris, what's your gut on this? We've kind of talked about how Suicide Squad didn't look like what we anticipated uh, and how that's kind of you know painted our uh, excitement for it one way or the other. Where does the new trailer... Does, let me ask you, does the new trailer, as well as the fact that it did initially get announced, do anything to change where you were on it? Or are you still kind of rocky on it? Or where you at? Um, I'm still rocky on it because I still think the concept is kind of weird. Um, sure. But the game, it's one of those things where the game looks like a ton of fun and I'm excited to 
play it, the concept doesn't make sense to me. But the most interesting thing I've seen about this game was someone saying that it's interesting that we're playing in the playground of their dead Superman game. <laughs> Which, just to clarify, uh, if you take his word for what it is, uh, I saw that Jason Schreier retweeted that and said uh, that there was no actual produced Superman game. Like it was in various talks of being done, but it never got started. Yeah, I know. It's just interesting to think about But that. it is interesting nonetheless uh, because of the, where it is. Um, man, I'll say, Josh, I said it back then. I don't know why a studio that put out the type of games that Rocksteady got popular for would pivot to this type of game. And I know that the answer is probably heavily tied into what the publisher and owner of the IP wants to minim- to maximize their things. But the reason I find that to be so weird is because in the same year that we got Hogwarts Legacy, which is in many ways the antithesis of what Suicide Squad is purporting to be. And it's from the same publisher and from a huge IP, and it doesn't really have much opportunity for them to make any kind of um, money from microtransactions and games as a service stuff. And yet this title off of the back of one of the best selling, you know, superhero games of all time with the uh, Arkham Knight, Arkham city and Arkham Asylum and ones that were universally celebrated. You're moving toward wanting to make a more games as a service E type game. I find it weird. I just don't see the connection and I don't even know if it really was WB pushing them there because I don't think that a WB that would push Rocksteady to make that type of game wouldn't also push for a Harry Potter game to be as microtransaction friendly as possible. So I'm left wondering, why did this happen? And unfortunately, I think my answer is as much as I hope it doesn't kill Rocksteady, I don't think this is going to go over the way anyone involved thinks. I would love to be wrong, even if I don't enjoy the game. It does not seem like a type of game that I will enjoy, but time will tell. So, yeah, for me, um, a lot of stuff would have to change in a very short period of time for me to be excited for this anywhere near day one. But uh, I'm a big fan of Never Say Never. Yeah. And if if Chris buys <clears throat> the game, in all honesty, I have no reason other than just other things occupying my time to not go... I'm bored. I could download it and try it. Yeah. The the problem with live service games is like you have to have enough people to or enough people to play it with. And well, I don't think I'd have four people to play this with. And it's one of those things where it's like the point is this, I can technically play it by myself, but does it feel good to play it by yourself? Maybe, but am I spending $70 on the risk? Probably not. And I look at it I look at it and I think of other games that have kind of tried this and not succeeded. And I wonder if this game pulled back some, because if you look, a lot of people keep saying like, it's not a game as a service. It's not, but it's designed so much like one that I almost, I don't know what happened when they looked at what happened with Marvel's Avengers and how much it underperformed for square um, and just generally across the gaming sphere, like 
people enjoyed the game, but it wasn't the thing that anyone would have thought a Marvel's Avengers game would have been from a success story wise, word of mouth wise, anything. Why would they stick with that? And I know that that game's not super old, but I mean, Marvel's Avengers came out in what, 20? I believe so. Something around there. Let me see. Okay, it came out in 2020. August of 2020. So right now we're three years in. So they, you know, we learned about it about two years after that game. How was it reason? Was it really not reasonable to just pivot and go, yeah, this didn't seem to work for Avengers at all? Or were they waiting to see if Avengers could crawl their way out and become a success story like Destiny did? Because Destiny didn't also necessarily launch to the best state. No. But has become a very big games as a service opportunity. So. I don't know. I'm, I'm I'm very confused by this, but ultimately, I'm not excited for it. I wish I was. I'm a big DC fan. I like them. I like the characters, and I like Rocksteady, but this is just not even in the ballpark of what I wanted out of Rocksteady. <laughs> yeah. This would be like if Insomniac's next game was an MMO. <laughs> I'd be like, cool, I guess, but who the fuck asked for an MMO from Insomni- Insomniac, you know? Right. I mean, I'd try it. They're making them and maybe, supposedly Maybe it could be good. It. Yeah, maybe it could be good. It's just... Right now, it looks fun. I know I'm not going to be able to convince my friends to play it, so the sad part reality is I probably won't end up playing it. And if I do, it'll be 20 hours by myself, and I'll not play it again. That's simple. Time will tell. Uh, next thing we have is PS Plus November uh, has given us the catalog for the extra slash premium uh, games that are being added to the catalog. So the first game on the list is the absolutely excellent looking teardown, which I've yet to play, but it looks awesome. And I'm excited to try it out. Uh, We have dragon's dogma, dark arisen, the PS4 remaster of the very late PS3 game. We've got mobile suit Gundam extreme versus maxi boost on. We've got dead Island riptide definitive edition. Also the PS4 version. We have a very cool looking puzzle game that I'm excited to play because I've been meaning to for PS4 and PS5 super limited where you use perspective to change the size of items in order to overcome puzzles. Cool idea. We have Ayudan Chronicle Rising for PS4 and PS5. We have Nobunaga's Ambition Taishi on PS4. All right. (laughs) Alternate Jake Hunter Daedalus The Awakening of Golden Jazz for the PS4. That sounds sick. River City Melee Mac. Mock, I guess. And then, of course, as Chris has been talking about, we got Grandia, Jet Moto, uh, as well as Up, Klonoa Fantasy Reverie Series, Parappa the Rapper 2, all as part of the Classics catalog. So Up is the PS... <laughs> it's the PS3 game. So there's Hell trophies yeah. here. I'm downloading <laughs> it right now. Um, oh. Actually, it's a, it's a PSP game. Oh, hell yeah, bro. But it does have trophies. That's wild. Yeah. What a wild time. There we are. So I think that pretty much wraps up where we are there. I want to go ahead and let everyone know. Uh, I was talking to Velvet and there was, as part of Thanksgiving week stuff going on, we chose to have a shorter episode and no Velvet's Corner yet again, but it will return. Uh, As sure as the day is, not very long, actually. That was a bad choice of words. Uh, It it, it is winter in the United States (laughs) and it gets dark at like 530. The day Mm -hmm. doesn't feel very long right now. It doesn't. 
So yeah, don't worry. For all you people in where it's still spring, don't worry. <laughs> it's as long as those those days. <laughs> Velvet's Corner is clearly going to return when Brett remembers to fix the intro. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, that's what it is. In silent protest, he's actually just like, Mm-mm. yeah, can't make like, it no. until you fix it. You yeah. you pass his birthday. It's too bad. So so here's here's a funny story in relation to Velvet's Corner since we're not actually getting a Velvet's Corner. Um, I was I've been watching Brooklyn Nine Nine for the first time finally. Or really, I, I picked it back up. I remember I watched season one Great back show. when it was first coming out, and I thought it was good. Um, but I was watching, and I'm I was at the end of season two, and come across this scene where uh, the the captain Raymond Holt is talking with. Uh, Jake Peralta or whatever and they're giving each other call sign names and at first Jake gives him the name Wet Blanket but then he ends up getting into it and he's like no call me Velvet Thunder Thunder. and I was like oh shit you figured it out (laughs) and so I messaged him I was like I have to assume that's where this came from because golden (laughs) moment in TV history I can understand yeah so yeah uh, I now know the namesake you gotta say it right though Brett it's Velvet Thunder Thunder yeah (laughs) Yeah, great, great time. I've been really enjoying the show. Have you seen um, um, the episode where they get sick? No, not yet. I'm, okay, I'm in then. season three right now. I don't remember what season it is, but so. it's the funniest fucking episode of that show. All when right, well, we're going to find out. Tell me. <laughs> but Chris, before we go, we do have a couple of questions we did not get around to, which I think are worth going across. I should have put probably one of these in a little earlier because I think it's an interesting question. Um RMG0731 over on X, also known as at Turning Amish, says, looking back on Phil saying Nintendo's future is off of their own hardware, fast forward to October 23rd results, looks like Xbox hardware is down 52% comparing October last year when they just closed ABK and had Starfield launch. Simple question, when does Xbox launch on PlayStation and Nintendo? And this is an age-old question that has kind of bounced around this show and PlayStation podcast, I'm sure, for years to come, as well as maybe even some Xbox podcasts. But Chris, I ask you, looking as we tend to do here as people who play all the consoles to some degree, we've been, we've been genuinely asking this question. Do you think there's any real movement on this in, in terms of your answer? Or has anything changed as far as you're concerned? Um. Nothing's really changed, but I just I think the answer here is Phil told the those emails told you twenty twenty seven, so we'll see <laughs> in three years or four years. Yeah, um, maybe even before then though, right? Like, it, it was kind of in the, even in those emails, it was kind of like if we can't turn it around by at least twenty twenty seven. Yeah. Uh, so you know if it if it doesn't if it keeps dropping keeps dropping. But one thing that's interesting to state here, right? I just want to make sure we're framing the question from the right standpoint. I think Xbox hardware is down 52%, and you're right. And I think that that clearly states that Phil's statement about Nintendo is also very true about Xbox. The future is off of their own hardware. And I think that they've, while they maybe have not outright said that, I think their actions have outright spoken toward that. I don't necessarily know that Xbox hardware being down is going to be the catalyst for moving these things to PlayStation and Nintendo just yet. But if you want my real answer on when, I genuinely think the answer to some degree is what Chris said, until they know for sure that Game Pass isn't going to be working. 
The answer here is that Xbox launches on PlayStation and Nintendo as soon as PlayStation and Nintendo allowed them to put Game Pass on their systems. And the reason that that's such a hard thing to guess is because it is still not clear to anyone involved, or at least for me, but clearly a lot of people, how PlayStation or Nintendo stand to benefit from a subscription service on their system that actively dissuades people from buying games, which is how both of those systems make most of their money. Well, I think it's and, pretty... I think the, the answer would be a bespoke, first-party only version of Game Pass on those systems. Sure. And I, I can even... I can see that. So then the question is just, does PlayStation still want that? And I almost wonder, have you ever wondered if part of what's going on here is, if it even comes down to that offer, do you think, I think Nintendo's a little different. Nintendo may do it because they, even though they are competition, they kind of stand separate from PlayStation. Like, Nintendo kind of doesn't super compete with PlayStation. No, Nintendo doesn't, but. Yeah, Nintendo really competes with itself. I'm really not to describe it other than that. Um, (laughs) Arguably, I guess they compete with the Steam Deck to some degree now. Yeah. Um, well, isn't the answer at this point, knowing what they know, you'd never let them put Game Pass on there, right? Because if you could just wait till 2027, right? If you can just wait and you know that Game Pass is stagnant and it's been stagnant, like it was 25 million a year ago. And I think Phil said recently there's been no marketed improvement from the 25 million and they need what, 100 million? I think that was Something the number like that. that was out there. Their projection was so many million a year that continued to grow for them to be able to hit sustainability. Right. So yeah. it seems pretty clear that they aren't they're at least not going on that trajectory. So if I'm if I'm Hiroki Totoki or Jim Ryan, did I make that name up? No, I didn't. That's his name. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh man. I'm sorry. I, I get where you're coming from, but it well, felt I'm sure someone wrong found that coming, a little offensive. But it yeah. felt wrong. But yeah. if if Hiroki Totoki knows, okay, in <laughs> a couple in a couple of years they're out of the game. Why would I let them put it there when it's just like, okay, well, you're just going to give us these games for seventy dollars in sure. five years anyway. Why am I doing this now? Yeah, I, I kind of am with you because it's like, or at the very least for it to be any earlier, the, the pot would have to be sweetened considerably. And I just, I don't know, because like the thing is, is that even if Microsoft benefits from putting Game Pass on PlayStation and getting access to a potentially new market, um, for Sony to make it beneficial enough to them, I'm assuming Sony would want even bare minimum 30% of any of the uh, subscriptions that happen on their side. And... Mm-hmm. Is that enough benefit for Microsoft? And if, and as far as Microsoft's concerned, as we've said before, uh, or at least as I've said before, do they even see the value? Because the thing about Game Pass is, is if you're doing a bespoke first-party only version on PlayStation Five, I wonder if the market will even actually respond to a nine ninety-nine a month price tag or a fifteen dollar a month price tag or whatever. Like. Right now, nine ninety nine a month or fifteen dollars a month or even twenty dollars a month seems pretty good. When not only do you get first party titles, but you get a lot of third party titles. Sometimes day and date, other times very close to day and date. It's just the value proposition gets really interesting, and I'd be curious to see if Microsoft would be willing to split up their business that way for that minimum growth because we've never seen anyone else do that. 
because from uh, from a subscription service angle, but that's because no other industry is quite set up like games are. Like it doesn't make sense for Netflix to release a version with only Netflix Netflix original content on PlayStation for ten dollars a month because. Why would you when it's so ubiquitous and easy to get elsewhere? They they stand no reason to benefit. But that's yeah. not true in the gaming place. You know, if you if you only have enough money and, and drive to buy PlayStation products, you might genuinely benefit from being like, cool, ten dollars a month, and I can just also play any of the Xbox games I could have been playing if I had enough money to afford both systems. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's I don't know. It's, weird. it's an unknowable answer, but I And then what think, happens? Do you have to have PS Plus to play those games online or do you have to have <laughs> Xbox Live? Imagine that they're like, <laughs> yeah, you can play Call of Duty for free on PlayStation but you need an Xbox account. Well, that actually that doesn't matter, right? Because Game Pass is Xbox Live. So if you have Game Pass, you'd have to have PS Plus to play Call of Duty online anyway because it's a paid game. So yeah. you'd you'd have to have yeah, it wouldn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So there you are. You have that kind of odd one there. Um, and then the last question of the show is going to come from over on the uh, Discord, where Jehudi MD, longtime friend of the show, longtime listener, says, Steam Deck OLED, Switch OLED, PlayStation Portal, Mary, Kill, Sleep With, Go. And then he put a note, keeping it PG-13 with the Sleep With part. <laughs> so Chris, if you want to, uh, if you want to say, you know, f Mary kill, more than welcome to do so. We said much worse <laughs> things on this podcast towards the end. Uh, we Velvet's have. corner used to get pretty unhinged. <laughs> yeah, and, um, when it was at its peak. So, um, look, we're going to be adults here. Fuck Mary kill. It was what Switch Portal, Switch OLED, Steam Deck OLED, PlayStation Portal. Fuck Switch, Mary Steam, Kill Portal. Interesting. I feel the need to ask. Okay. What is your driving factor for each of those realistically? I I, I think I understand the portal. I don't really, I I don't think there's much need to question that because I think it's going to be part of my answer. But what is the driving factor between Switch and Steam Deck, both being handhelds, both being OLEDs, that pushes you one way or the other over the over each one like you know if you, if you had to best describe what it was about the switch that's more of a hit it because that's how i'm thinking right the switch is hit it and quit it mm. <laughs> in this scenario the steam deck is more like the i i want you long term and then you're just going outside and burying the portal well so, that's you've kind what, of what's said happening e- you kind of said exactly what i've done with these things i don't have a steam deck but I've played and beaten two games on Switch in the entire time I've had a Switch. So it's literally pick it up, fuck it, and then leave it in a drawer until the next thing comes out that you know makes me want to see Might it again. Pull your attention. Right. Um, this is a harder question for me because I already suffer from not having enough time to play the games I want. But... Looking at them, I'm kind of like you. My Switch 
I've owned for so long and I seldom play it. I bought the OLED and I don't think I've played it in a year. <laughs> um, so with that in mind, I think I look at it and think like, yeah, uh, similar to Chris, I've probably beaten five or six titles on Switch. I think I beat Astral Chain, The Legend of Zelda, um, Link's Awakening remake. I beat... Pokemon X and Y finally, or not X and Y, but Sword and Shield finally, uh, after a long wait. I beat Pokemon Legends Arceus. I beat Monster Hunter. I think that's it. <laughs> so it's not a very comprehensive list. Um, but here's the thing. Steam Deck sounds so exciting on paper, right? And actually, Saul was talking about getting the OLED, so he's going to have his original um, Steam Deck, and he talked about selling it to me. Um, and I, I think I might take him up on it. But I, I have a hard time seeing myself playing any of these because I just don't think I'm in the mood for this stuff. That's what it comes out like. My thing is, like, the PlayStation Portal doesn't even make sense to compete in this because it's a completely different device. I, I, yeah. I don't know how to quantify it with these because it feels like... It feels like in the spirit of the normal game, you're like, fuck, Mary kill. Uh, you know, Mary-Kate Olsen, uh, fucking, why can I not name three women? Selena Gomez and then Brad Pitt. <laughs> it feels like one of them is already very different from the rest of them. Also, Brad Pitt's a pretty handsome guy. <laughs> True. Have you seen Bullet Train? No, I'm kidding. Um, kick-ass movie. But that's the thing that's weird is it feels like you're like, fuck, Mary kill. And you name like two cars and a bicycle. And it's like, what the fuck is the bicycle doing here? <laughs> like, it's not the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I may agree with you as much as I don't really. I don't have enough experience with any of them to really be strong to tell you. But I, I agree with you, Chris. I'm going to say Steam Deck is what I'd keep. There's a lot more options. Exactly. Switch is going to be the same thing that I never play anyway. <laughs> and then, and then here's like, if someone gave me a portal, I would totally keep it and play it. But that's about where I'm at. What do you think it would take? Chris, you, you at one point said you think you're going to get the portal. I mean, as the weeks keep going by, how genuinely do you think you might really get the portal one of these days? Um, the portal's a curiosity for me more than it's like, I really want one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's something that I could see myself using, but I don't know how often, you know, because it's one of those things where like the other day, like I played a little bit of Baldur's gate while I was using the bathroom. But I've only done that like twice. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> did you do that from your phone out of curiosity? Yeah, I did it on my phone. Um, and I was just running around, like, try exploring. So there was no reason. It wasn't like I was in combat. So it, it was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool. Like, I like doing this. But I don't, I don't, I just don't see how often I'm going to use it. You know, I saw people like, oh, I'm sitting waiting for my daughter at the, I don't know, dance lessons. And I'm playing Spider-Man. And, you know, there's a certain part of me that's like, that's cool. That's a great use case for it and then there's that other part of me where it's like just don't play video games for an hour <laughs> i struggle with a little bit of that but i also get that like you know i talk about already struggling with having enough time to play what i want to play but that's not because of 
it's just because I have another, I have other stuff going on. Like I want to do things with my daughter, right? I want to spend time with my wife. Like I've been watching a lot more TV lately because I want to spend time with my wife. I've been trying, you know, like I was talking about trying to rebalance, not letting myself get too involved in some of my side projects to where I'm neglecting other parts of my, of my life. So I've been watching a lot more movies lately and a lot more TV shows with my wife and just sitting there and being like, yeah, I, I could be playing Alan Wake 2 right now, but it, it'll be there. Like it, it'll be fine. Like, you know, you only get so much time to do these things with people that you love. And so I've been appreciating that, but you also only get so much time to create art. You only get so much time to do a lot of things. And as much as I love gaming and it's a very important part of my life, I've gotten to a point where it's like, sometimes it's okay to sit there and not like, I, I already have this thing where I feel like the odd one out within my friends group, even including my wife, because I have almost zero issue just sitting there in the quiet waiting for like 10 minutes without touching my phone. Yeah. I can't do that shit. Yeah. And I kind of like, I kind of like it. You know, I'm kind of like, this is nice. I'm not worrying about anything, but like my wife is constantly on the phone. And like I was in Wingstop the other day with a friend waiting for food. And the entire time that we were waiting, I was just sitting there looking and looking around and just kind of absorbing the moment. And he would like pull his phone out and like check. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's messaging his wife that we just saw three minutes ago before we left and he's going to see when we get back. And I'm like, dude, just, <laughs> you just live <laughs> in the moment, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, so, I'm the kind yeah. of person who's always listening to a podcast or a YouTube video or something. I can't have, I can't have time to think. So sitting in silence yeah, is scary. I won't act like, yeah, see, I can sleep in silence. No problem or anything like that. But no. I think what's really interesting is uh, I find that when I'm doing a task that involves me being like concentrated, then I want to listen to something like I'll, I'll listen to YouTube videos sometimes while I'm driving. It's cause I'm like, I can get some information in. I want to learn about World War II prehistory or whatever. And I'm just like, I'm going to learn about this weird thing. I'm going to learn about this weird science study that the government did back in the 20s that was very morally corrupt. So I can see that. But I guess I just, uh, as I get older, as much as I thought I probably never would, I've got very little problem spending time not gaming in comparison to what I thought I would have 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, maybe that's a good thing. So, uh, But all right, guys, that is, unless, Chris, you have something else you want to throw in, that's the end of the episode, man. I do not. It's a hell of an all episode. Right. Well, then, guys, if you want to follow us and be part of the show conversation, if you want to uh, you know, reach out and uh, push back or offer your insight on anything that we talked about on the show, feel free to do so in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. Or if you're listening on podcast services, like we said, head over to Patreon or Patreon. Head over to Twitter or X. I don't even know how you, you still type in Twitter.com and you get there. So Correct. do what you want. But head over to X. And find us at Triangle SQRD. Find us in the Facebook group, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. Or my favorite, go down in the description below, whether you're watching or listening, and click the link to the, uh, to the Discord that's in the description. Hop in and have some conversations with us. We have a communities take section where you can be part of that discussion. We have a podcast open discussion where we can openly have you guys talk about anything we're talking about in the podcast, offer your opinions, or converse with other people about their thoughts upon them. We'd love to have you over there. But without further ado, we want to shout out all the people who made this show possible by going to patreon.com slash nartech and giving as little as a dollar per month. <coughs> God damn. Woo. God damn. Uh, anyway, we do that by shouting them out at the end of every episode. So without further ado, want to thank Spencer. 
Thank rather Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray Axe, Easton 328, Aztec King, Leechion 69, The Lord Corgi, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Biliobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sanderud. Thanks to each and every one of you. We'll see you next week. Peace. Bitch.